So let's put our hands together for Michael Zarenko. We could um, pray for Michael before he begins. That'd be great. Heavenly Father, we pray a blessing over Michael that you would just infuse his words, that you would just speak so clearly through him this, this morning, that, um, that you would give him strength and just real discernment on what to share, and that this would just be a powerful opportunity for him to share what you are uh, wanting to say to this body. We bless him. For, for, for seizing this opportunity, and uh, thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you, Andrew, Brother Andrew. Yeah, until uh, a minute ago, I didn't know what I was going to share on, and so I really appreciate you uh, calling that out, Andrew. That's, that's going to help a lot. So um, one thing I did want to mention real quick is uh, Pastor Hammond is back in the hospital, and um, for those of you that don't know about Pastor Hammond, he actually founded a church called Christ, Christ Church Northgate, in the building next door, helped build this facility, and um, is now with uh, the Kirkland body. But he's back in the hospital with some complications, with some blood clots. So let's uh, start off by praying for him and agreeing. Jesus, we thank you so much for um, a man, Lord, who has gone before us. And we thank you that uh, if it wasn't for that man, Lord, we, you know, we wouldn't be sitting in this building today right now, Jesus. And so we just lift him up to you, and we just prophesy strength into his body, Lord, and we speak to the blood clots, and we say, be dissolved in the name of Jesus, and Lord, we speak strength and energy and healing over the man of God's body in the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray that you would encourage and lift up his spirit, Lord, that you would send people to him to just bring life in the presence of uh, your love, Lord, to that hospital bed in the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray that you would bring uh, all of the, the proper nurses and doctors Father, in order and in line to help treat him and encourage him in the name of Jesus, Lord. And so we just thank you so much for Pastor Jim, Lord, and just prophesy and release his healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I, uh, I spoke with Pastor Eric last night. He called in um, and prayed for me, which was very kind of him. He's off at a retreat right now with uh, a bunch of people from KMI. It's the Young Leaders Retreat, so people kind of 40 and below that are uh, meeting together with uh, Dennis Peacock. And um, he said that they were having a great time and whatnot. And um, he, uh, he said, <laughs> it's re really funny, he said, he, he said, Michael, I got to share this with you because um, he said Dennis Peacock shared on the exact same scripture that I was planning on sharing on this morning and was exhorting a lot of the young leaders in, uh, in the, the same kind of um, revelation and understanding and whatnot. So uh, it really encouraged me anyway that, you know, the Holy Spirit does have something for us this morning and uh, really, really excited to, to be in front of you. So I want to thank uh, Pastor Eric and Lisa for the opportunity to share with you because uh, for the first time I get to preach to my wife for the next 30 minutes and she doesn't get to get a word in. Other than amen. <laughs> See, I've only been up here five minutes, and I'm already causing you all to stumble with jealousy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I love my wife, and um, I certainly wouldn't be who I am without her and uh, in, in a, a deep work, you know, with the Holy Spirit. And I um, want to thank Arthur and Sharon for being here with us this morning, too. They've been discipling my wife and I for the last two years. And uh, they are awesome and um, have, have definitely been a huge part in making us, um, by the grace of God, become more like Jesus. So to start out, let's, I want to share a testimony with you because I believe testimonies help build up faith and expectation in the journey of, you know, where the Holy Spirit wants to take us. And we'll give you a little bit of background of kind of the lens that, that I view things and see things and um, I think it'll help line us up for what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us today through the Word. So back in 2000, um, I was born again. I had prayed a sinner's prayer when I was five, you know, walked in with the Lord and walked away from the Lord um, several times in, in between that time period. But when I was 20 is when I, I believe I was really born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. And I got, uh, that happened in a little Assembly of God church in a city called Sherwood in Oregon. 
and uh, was sitting there on an Easter Sunday service, and the pastor got a word of knowledge after the sermon. My heart was convicted. I was ready to walk out the door and go do business with God at home, and I had never really experienced an altar call before, but he was calling people to come forward, and I thought, I'm a Christian. I, I know God, and I'm certainly feeling convicted in my heart as it was pounding and everything. You know, the Holy Spirit was doing a work, but I thought, you know, I can go home and, and deal with God, and so he, he said, uh, can, can you turn to the person next to you and ask them if they need to be up here? Because I think there's more people that need to be up here. So I, I, I said, I got this, you know, I got this. So I went to go turn to my neighbor, and I got about 45 degrees, and I just broke and started crying. <laughs> so uh, I didn't have a choice but, you know, to respond to the Lord that day. went up to the altar, had people pray for me, and they asked, hey, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I said, you know, what's that? No, I haven't. So they shared some scripture with me, laid hands on me, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit, and that day my life has dramatically changed. So I began to want to be in the church um, every time the doors were open. This was right on the heels of kind of the Brownsville revival and the Toronto move of God, and so this church was hungry to see God move. They brought in guest speakers all the time. They'd stay there. They parked there for like a week and just pour in, and so I spent a lot of time on my face um, on the altar, and um, it was one of my favorite places to be in the whole world at the time prior to being married. Amen. <laughs> and uh, so uh, the Lord really began to work in my heart, and uh, the end up started working with the youth ministry and the youth pastor, and um, and with the youth there was about 25 young people in the church, and um, it started a job with this paper route, and ended up around these three kids from a local high school, and uh, one of the kids he was a um, he, <laughs> he was a homosexual, and he was also prostituting himself at 14 just for fun. One of his friends that was a girl that was with us was a Wiccan, and the other one was, um, you know, a professed lesbian. So these are the kids that the Lord kind of, like, put in my life. And um, so I started to just kind of be a normal Christian around them, which they thought was weird. And uh, I played worship music in the car, and it wasn't like Chris Tomlin, Matt Redmond, you know, the kind of mainstream stuff, which is good. I like that, too. But I played the weird stuff, you know, the stuff that, like— most people wouldn't hear, and so they began to, to ask me some questions because they thought I was a little odd. I didn't talk the way they did or didn't have the same kind of ideas that they did, and so they began to ask me what was different about me, and uh, I told them my testimony, you know, that I just shared with you, and uh, within a couple days, I had led the young man to Jesus, and um, within uh, the next week, his two friends also came to me and asked and said, hey, I want to experience what you experience, what you shared. I want to experience that because I told them just about the flood of life and that, and that when you, you know, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's no greater feeling in the world. No, no drug, no, no drink, no um, relationship can ever satisfy your soul as deep as that experience of being filled with eternal life, uh, you know, can have you experience. And so um, they ended up giving their hearts to the Lord. And within a couple of months, our youth group had tripled in size. And we had about 75 kids that were starting to come to the youth group. Most of them, obviously, were newly saved or just getting saved. And it was a radical, radical experience just, um, you know, being on fire and, you know, just seeing the Holy Spirit do some pretty crazy stuff. So shortly after that, um, I graduated from a, a Christian high school in the area, and they were having an alumni um, week, and they allowed alumni to come in and share. So I went in and shared with some of the other people for about 10, 15 minutes. And then I had a teacher, because of that, come and invite me in the classroom to share. And I thought, well, this is interesting. So I went in and shared in the classroom and, and brought my guitar, which I could barely play. And, um, and just, you know, just brought a word from the Lord and then gave an altar call and barely, you know, could <laughs> play the chords. And, um, and I was singing, which is even worse. But you know the Holy Spirit was in it because about half of the class got up and responded to the Lord. And they were down on their knees and, and just in tears. And the teacher was kind of like blown away, as was I. <laughs> so because of that, another teacher had heard about how the Lord had moved and invited me, the English teacher. And I thought, well, how do we relate English to preaching, you know? But somehow we managed to do it. Same kind of thing happened. So then the principal of the school came up to me. And, and, um, and I also had started doing a Bible study once a week with a, bunch of, a group of kids that wanted to come. And um, so he said, hey, you know, I think we should have you do a chapel. You know, the Lord seems to really be speaking through you to a lot of these kids. So I said, oh, I'd love to. I'd be honored. So I went in and did a chapel and preached a message, talked a little about the spiritual realm, and brought some friends with me, you know, to pray at the end and gave an altar call and um, uh, gave the young people an opportunity to respond. Like half of the school came up. We were like 150 kids coming up to the altar. So afterwards, we were just up there lay laying on hands, praying for people, prophesying over them. 
And um, it, it seemed, you know, just like a wonderful thing that the Lord was doing. And uh, then two days later, I get a call from the principal, and he said, hey, can we get together? And I said, sure, I would love to. And um, so we sat down, and he said, um, you know, I have something kind of bittersweet to tell you. And I said, oh, okay, let's, let's talk about it. So he said, well, the, the bad news is, is you can't come back to the school anymore. And um, so I said, what? And he, I said, well, why? You know, seeing all these people, getting together with them, and they, they seem to be enjoying it and, and growing in the Lord and hungry for God. And, and he said, well, when you spoke, people had come forward to the altar, and um, he said, you know, that was, that was fine, and that was good and everything. And um, he, some people came up to us and said, hey, they were praying stuff that nobody else could, could know about. You know, and he said, you know, which is fine. But he said some of the people passed out, and they woke up speaking in tongues. And uh, this is a Baptist school. And um, so he said the problem is, is that they went home and told their parents, and now their parents are calling their pastors. And he goes, the good thing is they're all sitting around talking about the Bible and what they really believe doctrinally. So he said that's good. But he said the problem is, is some of the people that really fund the school, it was their kids that experienced that, and they think it's demonic, and they don't want you back in the building. So I'm really sorry, but for now I can't have you back in the building. So I, I was a little bummed out by that. But, um, you know, the Lord knew what he was doing, and um, it definitely in encouraged me nonetheless, even though it was disappointing to kind of lose the, the relationship and the momentum that um, was being built with the kids. So um, a little testimony just, again, to share kind of my background where it comes. Unfortunately, that season of my life in the church I was involved in didn't end well, and I don't have a lot of time to get into that today, but um, maybe another time. But, um, you know, I, I, I just... I saw God move the way that he did, and I'm so hungry to see him move like that again in the Northwest. And, you know, particularly in Seattle and Northgate, sorry, I get a little sappy, so you'll have to forgive me, but there's so many people that are thirsty and that are hungry for God, and I've seen him do it before, and I believe, and I know that he wants to do it again. And I believe that he's brought us here, this people, to this area to reach those that are hungry and those that are thirsty and, and we can go out and we can reach out to them and see the same kind of fruit and see God move and draw them in and, and get radically touched and changed by the Lord and by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So long introduction, but uh, when, when Pastor Eric was asking me, you know, what I was going to preach on, I thought about um, one particular thing the Holy Spirit had been putting on my heart about the lake miracles and all the miracles that Jesus had done around lakes and on lakes. And, and you know, granted that we we're near Lake City and Lake Forest Park and we're Christ Church North Shore right by Lake Washington. And so I began to look into that and study it a little bit more in depth. And But I'm not going to preach on that today. But when uh, Peter was on the water, Jesus had gone out and he said, I want you guys to cross the lake and uh, start rowing. So he went up and prayed and, you know, the storm started to kick in. You guys know the story. The storm starts to kick in. The waves are going. The boat's rocking a little bit and they see something coming towards them at 3 a.m. in the middle of the night and uh, they get scared. They think, oh, this is a ghost. And Jesus says, hey, it's me. And uh, Peter goes, Jesus, if it's you, hey, call me out and I want to come to you and walk on the water. And Jesus goes, do it. So Peter, as we know, he gets out of the boat and begins to walk on the water. Now, why I thought this was relevant to us is because sometimes you get into a place and it can seem a little bit stormy. And you're sitting in the boat and you can see Jesus, but you don't know what you are to do. So you start praying and, and fear starts to set in and anxiety and, and kind of an unknowingness. And so, but, but you know that sometimes you get an idea in your spirit that God's calling you to do something and you even bring it before the Lord and you feel like he's saying to come. He's saying, come out, do it. And that's what Peter did. Jesus didn't initiate Peter to come out. Peter asked him and Jesus said, yeah, do it, Peter. And as we know, Peter starts walking on the water. It's a miracle. The other disciples are probably like, no way, this is really happening. And as you know the story, we know, we know, we know. He starts to sink and he gets fearful and Jesus reaches out and he grabs his hand and he saves him, of course. So Peter, even though he was walking in a miracle in obedience and agreement with Jesus, he still began to sink because of his fear and his issues and, and that sort of thing. But hey, Jesus saved him. So, but I'm not going to preach on that today. So, but when Jesus... They got, all get back in the boat. You know, there was such a competition among the disciples that they probably were like griping to themselves like, Peter, you think you're the water walker. You think you're the miracle man or whatever. And if I were Peter, I probably would have turned to him and said, hey, I'd rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat talker any day. You know what I mean? Like Peter got out and did it. 
But I'm not preaching on that today. So in, in Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, um, it talks about, uh, uh, Come, let us return to the Lord. He is stricken, but he will raise us up. On the second day, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. And if you fast forward into Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says that with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. So if you take the time frame of the year, you know, 0 AD to 999, that's one day. From 1000 to 1999, two days. What happened in the year between 1000 and 1999? Well, I don't know everything, but I know towards the tail end of it, we had the Welsh Revival. We had the Brownsville Revival. We had many of, you know, the God's generals that were raised up, seeing mighty miracles and moves of God all in the second day, all the way up to the tail end of it. And then that would mean that from the year 2000 forward, we are now living in the third day where Jesus says he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. And I think it's funny because the year that I was really born again was 2000, just entering the third year, the third day. Talk to David Strzetsky. He had an encounter with the Lord the year 2000. In fact, if we look at a lot of our lives, we probably think that, oh my gosh, something crazy did happen in the year 2000. That was really a turning point for me because God is raising up a people in a generation that are being prepared to be raised up and live in his sight. The great final harvest is, is what we are embarking on. And so... This year marks the 40th year of Roe v. Wade. 40 years of Roe v. Wade. And um, abortion is only the end of the conveyor belt of a culture that worships sex, is what Jim Anderson says of Lifeline Ministries and in his book Unmasked. And so I believe that we are a generation that is being raised up, and now that these 40 years has passed kind of a dry desert season, this agenda has only advanced in our area as a culture that worships sex. I mean, my gosh, we drive through in, in Lake City alone. You know, we have multiple places where people dance to try to keep it a little bit more clean. And, you know, there's all different shops and different images. And, I mean, you walk into a grocery store or a Target, and there's like, boom, stuff all up in front of you that are they're screaming this message at us, right? And so 40 years has passed. And I believe now it is a time for a generation to raise up and take us into a promised land that we're going to say, no more. We, we are done. Amen? The human trafficking issue. Come on, Evan and Cassie. You know, it's like that whole issue in and of itself, one of the most um, intense cultural issues of our day that even the secular world has begun to pick up and run with because it's so rampant and so terrible. Come on, church. It's time for us to raise up as a people and say, yes, we are going to walk into the promise and we are going to put a stop to this in the name of Jesus. So I'm not preaching on that today either, though, but I had to share it. So really, my true assignment this morning is to exhort you and give you a drink. So I had to pick one thing. And so we're going to be reading out of uh, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. So there's three things I believe the Holy Spirit wants to weave in this morning to us. Number one, identity. Number two, availability. And number three, frequency, as in being tuned in and dialed into the frequency of the Holy Spirit. If you need a title of the message, um, the title would be, What Was She Drinking? What Was She Drinking? So John, the Gospel of John is a little bit unique. It's not a part of the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're a little bit more chronological, a little bit more detailed about the life of Jesus. But John, John's a little bit different. He emphasizes the deity of Jesus. In fact, uh, Pastor Eric's been talking about the Bible being an owner's manual. And if we read it and we understand it and we follow it, that we'll be able to manage this tripart being that we are and, you know, be able to live a life in its fullness without breakdowns and other things that could potentially occur. So if, if, if John uh, had a label on it, it would be that part in the owner's manual that says, hey, read this first. Because John emphasizes the deity and the authority, divine authority of Jesus. And so when we look at the Gospel of John, John understood his own identity. In fact, five times John refers to himself as the disciple whom 
Jesus loves. He wasn't afraid to declare it. He was always cuddling up on Jesus' chest, you know, this ear up there. And I think it probably ticked Peter off a little bit. You know, Peter was so competitive. <laughs> In John 1, 6, it declares that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness of the light that all through him might believe. In fact, every chapter presents evidence of the signs and statements of Jesus' divine authority. Every one. He doesn't begin like Matthew with a boring genealogy. Uh, come on, you know, Matthew, get a revelation. We have enough of that in Numbers. But um, we know that, that, that that's important because it shows us the lineage of Jesus. Da, 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 da. But you could look it up in the Old Testament, Matthew. So John begins with this. In the beginning, the Word existed. Capital W, Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. He created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life, Zoe, life, to everything. Somebody say everything. That was created, and his life, Jesus's, Zoe, life, brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. John was the brother that Jesus trusted with his mother. When he was up on the cross, he said, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your woman. John said, You can put me on an island by myself, and I'll be okay. I'll just have some visions of heaven or something. And that's what became the book of Revelation. And John 20, verse 3, declares that the whole point of his account is to tell people how to find eternal life. And we're not talking about a place and a destination. We're talking about an eternal, uh, conditional, I'm sorry, continual, not conditional, flow of Zoe life inside of us, inside of our beings. We're not talking about simply a destination. In fact, that, that flow of life, when you get so much coming inside of you, can sometimes make you want to do something a little bit crazy. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll uh, get into the scripture. Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you want to speak to us this morning. And we thank you that, um, Lord, you have brought us each here uh, to hear and to receive and to grow and to be filled freshly again with that Zoe eternal life, O oh God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that um, you would go deep into our hearts, into our spirits this morning, God, and that you would bring revelation to each of us, Lord, deep understanding of who you are and what you accomplished on the cross and what the purpose was for and, and, Lord, how we fit into the puzzle right now in the year 2013. So, Lord, right now we surrender our hearts to you. We surrender our spirits and our minds, Lord, to receive from your eternal, ever-giving, living word of God in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Somebody say noon. Somebody say desert. Somebody say hot. Again, this, this begins to paint the picture that John's trying to show is Jesus was fully God and fully man. He got tired. He's sitting in a well, hungry and thirsty uh, about noon. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Let's remember the context. Jesus is going from Judea to Galilee, and in between that is Samaria. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews. They didn't like him. In fact, most of the time they went all the way around. But Jesus says, no, we're going to shortcut it and go straight through Samaria because he had a divine appointment in mind. And so this desert even personifies the woman, the condition of the woman's heart that is about to come to him. It's dry. It's hot. It's cracked. It's, it's barren. There's, there's nobody around because nobody in the right mind goes to get water to well at noon. They go in the morning when it's cooler and the evening when it's cooler. But she's there obviously to be avoiding people probably because of the shame that is in her life. And so Jesus sets her up, and he shows up and is sitting on the well. And uh, you are a Jew, I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you be better 
offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman says, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. And Jesus sets her up again. He says, go and get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five, and you aren't even married to the one you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman says, you must be a prophet. (laughs) I love that part because it's like, you think? He reads her mail, (laughs) and then she says, has the audacity to say, oh, hey, you must be a prophet. (laughs) It's one of my favorite parts. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. So they had a whole conversation about worship. In fact, I think even in her, ch- in her shame, as Jesus is revealing her issues and what she's struggling with at the time, she begins to change the topic to worship. Now, she starts talking about, is it better to worship in, in Jerusalem or the, where the Samaritans worship over here? And Jesus says, none of that matters. It's about who you are and about worshiping God and spirit and truth because God is spirit. So it's about who you are and how you're living your life of worship wherever you are. It's exactly what uh, Pastor Eric has been been sharing with us. So the woman at the tail end of that conversation says, uh, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And she wasn't living like it. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus said to her, I am the Messiah. This is the first time that he revealed his messiahship to anyone, his identity as messiah to anyone. It wasn't his disciples. It wasn't the Sadducees, the Pharisees. It was to this woman. I'll come back to that. Just then his disciples come back. The boys roll back in on the scene, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus to eat something. Why? Because they had just stuffed their face and come back. So many of the Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days. Long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman, Now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Where to begin? So, back to the scene. The woman was shocked, I think, because Jesus was treating her like no other men have ever treated her before. Jesus wasn't rude, particularly a Jew to a Samaritan. You know, she would have been the scum of the earth, particularly because of the way that she was living. But Jesus wasn't rude to her. He was honoring to her, and I think that caught her attention. And I love the Bible because there's, there's so many different layers to it, and Jesus meets her at Jacob's well. And what I find fascinating about this, when you really dig into it, you know, it was a piece of property that Jacob had passed down to his sons, and Jacob had dug the well. We see that in the text. But what's crazy to me is Jesus meets this woman at a place where a man knew how to honor and cherish women. Think about it. Going back to Jacob, what did he do? He worked and waited seven years for Rachel. And then Rachel's dad totally gives him the shaft. And says, sorry, you can have Leah. Surprise! And Jacob, what does he do? He works another seven years to marry Rachel. Seven times two. And Jesus meets her on this place at this well, Jacob's well. A man who knew how to honor women. And isn't it interesting that she had had five husbands. And the man she was with now, number six, she wasn't even married to. And certainly wasn't fulfilled because she was still thirsty. Because we know relationships outside of the context, the owner's manual, the way that God designs, never really satisfies. There's always another drink that's needed, right? And so here he is with number six. She runs into Jesus, who's man number seven, who is both fully man and fully God, seven 
times too. The Bible blows my mind because 40 different authors have written this thing over thousands of years, and yet they're all in agreement with one another. Try to get four politicians, even of the same party, in a room to agree on like 20 things. It'll never happen. The Bible is a God-inspired, God-breathed book and a divine authority that we can certainly put our trust in our, uh, our way of living in. And so here is uh, the Messiah meeting a woman who's living in shame in a sinful life who's just trying to quench her thirst. And he says, go get your husband. She had had five, right? And now she's with Jesus. He's seven. And the, what he gave her had fully satisfied her. So you can, you can be in a place where you might be trapped in shame or avoiding people or, or maybe not even going to church or whatever the case may be. But you know what? Jesus loves you so much. He wants to meet us right where we're at. We could have something totally hidden in the dark that keeps us from wanting to share Christ and the love of Christ because we we don't think we're worthy or we're stuck in a place. But Jesus wants to meet us right where we're at to drink some living water. So they have a dialogue about water and Jesus uses it to describe the Holy Spirit and those who drink uh, may start to do something a little bit crazy for the kingdom of God because he says it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now think about that for a minute, eternal life. We're talking about Zoe life. And in, we just read in John 1 that, that everything that Jesus created, he created with Zoe life. And Jesus is in this passage saying, hey, the same life that, that before the world was even created that was existing with me way before time and all the way into the future, it's a never-ending energy and stream of life. I want to give you that you can tap into that stream of life. It's like this, this, this strong current of energy that never stops. That he says, hey, if you just drink from it, I'll bring it inside of you and I'll live inside of you and the Holy Spirit will live inside of you and it will become a stream in a spring that never stops coming up inside of you that you can begin to release that life and touch others' lives. And he's saying, that's what I want you to be drinking from. Eternal life isn't, isn't just a destination. So the woman, when she heard this, was interested in the exchange, but it wasn't exactly what she thought. Jesus reads her mail and says to her, go get her husband. How did Jesus win her trust in her heart? How did he win the heart of this woman who was shameful and not wanting to be around anybody? With a YouTube video. You don't believe me, do you? I'll prove it. So Jesus pulls out his Windows Phone 7. He didn't use an iPhone. All right? Okay. He didn't use an iPhone, and, and I'll prove it to you. You don't believe me. So Jesus would never use an iPhone because he was always about us and we, never I and me. He said, open up the windows of heaven and let the king of glory come on in. Amen? Yeah. Uh, don't get me preaching. And on top of that, Jesus is into a static you and a static I. He wants something with life, with live tiles that's ever-changing, and it's never quite the same. Amen. Jesus rocked a Windows Phone 8. So he pulls out the Windows Phone 8 to the woman, and he goes to the YouTube app, presses the YouTube app, and goes to the search menu, pushes the search menu, and he uses a voice command, and he says, Antoine Jackson. And he waits. Okay, so it starts pulling up, and he fast-forwards a little bit, and he presses play. And he shows the woman, okay? And he shows the woman, Antoine Jackson. You don't have to run and confess. We looking for you. We gonna find you. We gonna find you. So you can run and tell that, run and tell that. Come on, you know it? <laughs> Home girl. Yeah, right. Amen. Saying you don't gotta run to a church or a synagogue. I'm gonna meet you right where you are at. And then you can run into the village and tell it. Come on, this is exactly what she did. I told you, you wouldn't believe me. He could have gone seeker-friendly on her. He could have. Hi, young lady. You're so nice. How are you feeling today? I'm hot. That's okay. You just need to think positive. Think about it this way. It's like a free sauna. You're burning calories just walking back and forth to the well. Let's be positive. It's the new you. Oh, don't worry about the men. There's grace. You'll be fine. You just keep praying and worshiping and the Lord will bless you. He didn't go seeker friendly on her, did he? Okay. 
he could have gone hellfire and brimstone. All right, that's my hellfire brimstone feedback. Lady, what are you doing? Turn or burn. Flip or fly. You're living in sin. He didn't do that. Jesus, he's, he's so nice. You know, he just, he read her mail. And, and he, he invites her into the conversation. And even when she changed it because of her shame to worship, she, she, she probably wasn't worshiping. At least she was worshiping on a different altar than most of the other people that were serving God were worshiping on. But once she realizes he is a spiritual man and a prophet, in her shame, she changes the dynamic of that conversation to worship. And Jesus just rolls with it. And she ends it saying, you know, I know the Messiah is coming. She'd obviously been educated in, in some form of spirituality. And when he comes, he's going to explain everything. And then Jesus tells her his identity. And this is significant, like I mentioned, because it's the first time he tells anybody the identity of his messiahship. And look who he chose. I think sometimes we're too hard on ourselves. We forget what length Jesus is willing to go to to save us, to set us free, to want to fill us with the, the, this everlasting life that he's talking about here. And so he comes to this woman who is living a sinful life, full of shame, and he meets her right where she's at and allows her to drink of this living water and be used by God. So right when he, he pops that idea to her that he is the Messiah, the boys show right back up at the moment, the disciples come back and and peter would have been ticked if he knew what just happened because he hadn't told peter that yet and he didn't get it till later anyway but the woman left the pot and ran back into the village and began to release her testimony and people began to come streaming from the village to jesus i mean this blows my mind because the very woman that was trying to avoid everybody is now running into a village once she had some exchange and got a little eternal life and begins to tell everybody her story and most likely Nobody, she didn't have any credibility with anybody anyway, right? But they some, for some reason, there was authority and anointing in her testimony and whatever she had just tapped into that eternal life that she was drinking from that's beginning to come out of her and people are at least a little bit interested and they become running out to where Jesus and, and the disciples are. And so let's talk about availability and frequency. There was two people here that were available by the Holy Spirit to be used. Jesus and the woman. The disciples, 12 professional preachers, go into a village and all they bring back to Jesus is a five-piece chicken McNugget, a Whopper Jr., and a bucket of KFC. One woman who a moment ago was stuck in shame, avoiding everybody, does some exchange with Jesus, gets filled with some eternal Zoe life, runs into a village, begins to release her testimony, and the whole village, I apologize, a lot of people from the village stream out, and she brings them to Jesus. Whoa! Do we underestimate ourselves, or what? What was she drinking? She shared her testimony, and, and maybe this was the scene that John was even thinking of in Revelation when he wrote, We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, and by not loving our lives even to death. He might have thought about how she was sharing her testimony, and the people came streaming out of the village to come see Jesus and the disciples. In fact, the disciples didn't even see this kind of fruit until Pentecost. Wow! Isn't it interesting that Peter later on came to that same revelation of and conclusion that this woman did of Jesus' messiahship when Jesus said, on this rock, on this revelation and understanding of my messiahship, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Isn't it interesting that on that same revelation with this woman, way before Peter got that, Jesus was building his church through that revelation and through that woman being available. Blows my mind. So Jesus reveals his identity as Messiah to a shamed, living in sin, Samaritan woman. And she brings many Samaritans to hear him. And many end up believing. 
reading in John 4.39, in closing now, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then the woman, then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. So how do we know if we are continually drinking of this water, this living water, this eternal life? Well, one way to know is it would be continually flowing out of us onto others. I know many, many demonstrate that, and many of us do. And I think the other key sign is that it sometimes causes you to do crazy things for the kingdom of God, like this woman who was trying to avoid everybody, a little drink, and she's running in the middle of all the people, sharing her testimony, bringing them out to Jesus. Would you stand with me, please? Identity, availability, frequency. Amen. Jesus, first of all, he never expects us to do or give anything that we have not already received. Is Jay Hallstrom still here? Do you mind coming up and playing something for us? He never expects us to give or do anything that we haven't already received. And so he always gives us the opportunity before he makes any request of us to receive his life, to receive his word, to be equipped with the gifts that he has put in us, to understand our identity in him. That day, Jesus completely changed the identity of a woman And she was radically used by God within a day. My wife is one of the most prophetic people that I know. And um, one of the things that's a challenge with being married to a prophetic woman is she always knows everything. (laughs) I can't hide anything. I try to buy her a gift and keep it a secret. And she figures it out every time. But if you need prayer for identity, if you don't fully understand maybe everything the Holy Spirit's been calling you to do, or um, you just you just need some fresh confirming word in your life, um, she's one of the people that you definitely want to have pray for you because she is extremely anointed and prophetic. Thank you, Lord. Can I just pray for a minute here as we go into closing? Jesus, we thank you for your life. We thank you for your eternal life. We thank you for what extent you are willing to go to to find us right where we are in the midst of our stuff. You find us and you bring life to us. You give us the opportunity to take a drink and you say, here, it's right here for the taking. Just pick it up and drink. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you don't leave us to ourselves, but you come right where we're at, in a bedroom, in a church service, in a car, at work, and you show up, and you begin to move on our hearts and our lives, and you begin to change our identity and and who we thought we were. And in a moment, Holy Spirit, drinking a little bit of your eternal life, a little bit of your Zoe life, we can be transformed and be available and be ready and, and, and be tuned into the frequency of the Holy Spirit to be used by you in a a radical way. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you brought us to this place, this location, Lord, in, in North Shore and surrounding Lake City and Lake Forest Park and Shoreline and the North Seattle area. And we thank you for all the people just like this woman, Lord, that will drive past today on our way home. Lord, we'll drive past and they're thirsty. They're thirsty. They're desperately seeking for something. They're, they're in shame and, and stuck and not knowing why they can keep drinking from something but never be satisfied. And Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that you begin to release an anointing on us. And you'd begin to release the ability and the grace to go and to stop for the one and to pray and to minister 
and to give them a drink. In Jesus' name. Pastor Eric, I got to tell you a story about him. He's awesome. We love our pastors so much. They are, I think, some of those amazing, humble, real, loving, genuine people in the Lord that, um, that I know. And um, one of the times when we were prayer walking down in Lake City months, months ago, before prior to the church plant, um, we came across this, this young man, and he was uh, a vet, but borderline kind of homeless. And um, anyway, Eric uh, went up and started to talk to him and just uh, minister to him, just, you know, just having conversation, you know, how he does connects. And, um, and he invites him to come in and, and eat lunch with us at the Chinese place. And so the man's coming in. The whole time he's got his coat on. He's got his one hand in his coat like this. His name is Stephen. And uh, he's got his hand in his coat like this. So Eric buys him lunch, and he's sitting down. We're all just talking, and his kids are talking to him. And, you know, just invite him in. <laughs> just, just come. Come hang out with us. And so, you know, we had a good lunch time, and I just, I mean, we were all kind of curious why he had his arm in his coat, but it didn't feel like a threat. So we just kind of left it. And finally, towards the end of the lunch, I, whether he was tired of holding it or whatever, he pulls out this bottle of booze that was almost all the way gone. And he knew that because Eric was a pastor, at least a Christian, you know, and he had his kids around, he didn't, he didn't want to expose that. So out of his own honor, he was keeping it in his coat. So we finish up with lunch, and we walk out of the place, and um, Eric says, hey, man, can I, can I pray for you? Would that be okay? And he says, yeah, absolutely. So Eric, you know, lays hands on him and prays him, and we begin to pray for him and just, just bless him, right? Bless Stephen. And he starts crying, and, and after Eric's done, he says, um, Eric, he said, I have not seen this kind of Christian love in 20 years. And that blew my mind because all he did was stop for the one and give him a drink. Come and be around the life of God, the eternal life of God. Because what you have, it's not satisfying you. You need to go buy another bottle tomorrow. You know, you need to go do the other thing tomorrow. You need to find another guy next week, another girl next week. Come on, you need to go smoke another bowl tomorrow. These things that people think fulfill and satisfy, but they never really fully do. And what length Jesus went to on the cross in order for us to receive that eternal life. It blows my mind. I mean, his back was shredded for our healing. You know, they never should have, they never should have raised the cross up. They should have nailed him in the cross. If they really wanted him to go away and his message to stop, they should have just nailed him in the cross and left it on the ground because they missed the memory verse because he had already said that if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Big mistake. <laughs> so I want to ask you this morning and give you an opportunity, not for me, but for the Holy Spirit, just like I had when I was 20 years old, just like Stephen had, just like the woman at the well had, to take a drink of some eternal life. And you may be at a place today where you say you can relate to what I was saying about maybe being filled with shame or not being able to, it blocks you. It keeps you from being fully who you are in your identity, from wanting to make yourself available because you're struggling. You know, there's, there's a struggle there. And Jesus wants you to be free so you can release your testimony and see the kingdom of God advance. Or you might be in a place where you experience, you could say, yeah, I can relate to that, that feeling of Zoe life flooding my body. I, I, I remember that. I experienced that a long time ago. But maybe it's been a long time since you've had a drink like that. Maybe you've had little sips, but a big, super big gulp of living water that you throw down, and it makes you want to do something crazy for the kingdom of God. And that might be you this morning, too. So I want to give you an opportunity this morning to, to respond to the Lord. And I, honestly, I think it's important to make a move of some sort. You know, some people have you raise your hands or whatever. Honestly, we're family. There's no judgment here at all, whatever the case may be. But I would just invite you to come forward to the altar and just come be with the Lord and take a big drink. Because the woman herself even left her pot and she ran into the village. She took action. She didn't go back to her house. She went right into the village. 
So action is good. So I want to invite you right now just to come and um, if you feel like you want a drink, you need a drink um, of some eternal life, I believe the Holy Spirit, as we respond to him, both in our hearts and um, in action, that he's going to begin to release that over you this morning. So I want to invite you to come forward. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your living water. Thank you for the life that you bring, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you want to you wanna fill us up and give us that drink more than we even want it. But you want to meet us right where we're at, Holy Spirit. You want to come and you want to fill us and you want to release new identity and fresh fire and fresh thirst that might make us do something a little crazy out of our box for the kingdom. Lord, that where we have not been bold in the past, you want to embolden us that when we've heard people sharing something and we've had that thing in our spirit that you should say something, but you don't. Lord, we want to be people that are bold, but we don't even care because our focus is on the kingdom and, and we want to release that life. Why would we want to hold that back? He held nothing back for us on the cross, so why would we want to hold anything back for somebody else? Thank you, Holy Spirit, for that life. Yes, just begin to pray and ask the Lord to fill you up. Release your life, Jesus. Release your life. Just pray to him. Thank you, Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Holy Spirit, come. Jay, when I was preparing this message, I saw you sitting in a chair about, my assumption was 20, 25 years ago, something like that. I could be wrong on that, but you were sitting in a rocking chair and you had the Bible out. And you were just weeping at the goodness of God and the revelations that he was giving you. And just there was a season where there was like an open heavens window to just getting revelation out of the scripture. And he was showing you some crazy things that you were writing down. And you were just like weeping at the goodness of God and what he was explaining to you. And um, I'm stepping out here. So I I think that what he was showing me was that um, there's something inside of you that desires to to preach, to teach, to minister. And you have a gift to do that. But it's like these lies came in to try to steal that away from you. And so you've been continually serving the Lord so faithfully with with music and with worship and all these things. But I was really sensing that the Holy Spirit has put a gift in you and a desire in you to preach and to teach and not to disqualify that at all. But I believe that he's going to begin to raise that back up in you and begin to pour those revelations back on you and even draw some of the old stuff up in order to enable you to do that. In Jesus' name. Is that right? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we drink. We drink, Holy Spirit. We drink of your life. We need your Zoe life, God. We need it to function every day. God, we need it to be free from our shame and and from the things that hold us back from being bold for you, Lord. We want to be a people that are bold for the kingdom of God, Lord, that put aside our own fears, our own anxieties, our own um, self, Lord, and lay our lives down for the cross and for the kingdom.